This is the Leader Technique Podcast. I'm Dr. Jody John, a researcher with experience and background in high-tempo, hazardous operations like wildland firefighting and Antarctic science logistics. I've spent my research career looking into ways that people who are not alpha males navigate leadership, safety, and inclusion in male-dominated work. And I think it's all about technique. Join me in talking about leadership practices, teamwork design, and safety culture. I throw in self-coaching techniques along the way too, because a solid self-coaching practice will get you where you want to go that much faster, especially as you lead. Get podcast notes to your inbox at www.leadertechnique.com. That's leadertechnique, all one word, dot com. Find me on LinkedIn at Jody John. That's J-O-D-Y-J-A-H-N. And I'm on Instagram at leader.technique. Thanks for joining me. This is Leader Technique, episode three. This episode is about how to rewire your brain so you can feel more confident or whatever you want to feel more of. My goal is for you to walk away from this episode with a working understanding of where your suffering comes from, neurologically speaking, because I believe this baseline understanding is the first step toward having control over how you experience your emotions and your life. So much of our misery comes from having the wrong neural networks linked up with one another. We're going to cover some basics about memory reconsolidation, why neurons fire together for better and worse, and we'll sketch a roadmap for what it takes to rewire your brain. It's a bit of theory, but it opens up the door for so many effective applications. In this episode, I'm going to walk you through how I got rid of my lifelong public speaking anxiety in about 15 minutes of working with these concepts. All right, so here's a scenario many of us can relate with. Let's say you did show and tell in grade school and felt kind of nervous. Then in high school and college, you gave a lot of presentations and you came to expect that when you gave a presentation, you were going to feel nervous. You move on to your job where you need to give a presentation or a briefing, you get nervous. The neural network associated with giving presentations fires at the same time as the neural network associated with nervousness. That's what neuroscientists refer to as Hebb's law. Hebb's law is at work when giving a presentation equals nervousness. Those neural networks have become so interlaced together over time. You are so used to feeling nervous when presenting that it can seem difficult to change and feel something else, but you totally can, and it's not too difficult if you apply a few basic concepts. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I might butcher some of this, but even if I'm getting some of it wrong, I still find my understanding of it helps me get some good results. So (laughs) so let's just roll with it. Maybe it'll work for you too. What I'm going to do now is walk you through a process for rewiring your brain using a technique that applies some basic concepts. Then I'll break down the key steps to explain where the concepts are at work. Uh, In the end, I got rid of public speaking anxiety in about 15 minutes of working with a fellow coach as we took turns practicing this technique. In fact, it might have taken more like five or 10 minutes (laughs) in reality. So here's a scenario and what we did. I've been teaching in the university environment for the past 17 years. That also counts my grad school. Obviously, some public speaking contexts are higher stakes than others. For me, the classroom is pretty low stakes. However, in the past several years, I've been teaching large lectures. My current one has about 300 people in it. It's a lot of people, but it's still pretty low stakes. It's mostly freshman college students who are a pretty forgiving crowd. And it's an intro course, so the content is very approachable, both from my perspective and from the students. 
I'm really used to public speaking, but I've never loved it. And I always feel really nervous right before I go on stage. So my coaching partner and I followed this general process. The coach asked me to to identify the problem. And I said, I get nervous when I teach my big lecture and I want to feel differently. The coach then got specific and asked me, when was the last time exactly when the nervous public speaking happened? And I said, during the previous week, it was a Wednesday. The coach then associated me into the problem state so we could identify the triggers of the nervousness. When you associate into the problem state, you call up that memory and you inhabit it. You associate into that memory. So she associated me in by saying, it's Wednesday now. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Here, we're looking for the triggers, and I have three really vivid ones related to teaching my big lecture. There are three really vivid moments that uh, trigger that nervousness and, and really get me going. So the first one is, I'm in my office looking at the clock, and it's time to leave to walk over to the lecture hall. I get this jolt of nerves and shakiness. The second one is I'm walking over to the lecture hall across the quad and I feel all tense in my muscles. My hands and feet are ice cold. It could be 100 degrees outside and my hands and feet would be complete ice cubes. And the third one is right before I go on stage, I get that jolt of nerves. I feel cold and I really don't want to be there. Right here, these triggers are connecting the act of public speaking or my anticipation of doing so with this whole body experience of nervousness, two different neural networks firing together and that after a lot years of doing this are wired together. Right here, these triggers are connecting the act of public speaking or my anticipation of doing it with this whole body experience of nervousness. So these are two very different neural networks that are firing together and that after lots of years of doing this are wired together. So I've got my public speaking neural network and then I've got my nervousness neural network. And the public speaking makes me nervous because these two are linked. So I want to change this. I want to connect my public speaking neural network with one that's not all about nervousness. I want to unwire nervousness and wire in something else instead. So the coach asks me, what do you want to feel instead? And I say, confident and excited in a good way. Then the coach associated me into the desired emotional state, or what we call the resource state, by asking me when specifically I last felt confident and excited in a good way. Here, she's looking for a specific memory. So I recall a memory from over the weekend when I was coaching a client and we were making really good progress. I felt I had a lot to give and my hands and feet were warm. I was excited to help them learn and have more control over their own life. It felt super satisfying. Here, by recalling that session with my client that felt really good, I'm lighting up a whole neural network around feeling really confident, excited in a good way, and satisfied. I'm also reconstituting a memory of that call with the client, lighting up that region of the brain where that memory lives. A quick and crucial note about how memory reconsolidation works. Usually, people think of memories as video clips in the long movie of our lives. In that movie metaphor, recalling a memory is kind of like rewinding the movie and then replaying what occurred. That's your memory. So there's quite a catalog of therapeutic methods that subscribe to this movie metaphor for memories. 
However, more recently, neuroscientists take a very different view of how memory reconsolidation works. Now, it's conceptualized more as a creative process in that every time we recall a memory, we are in effect recreating or reconstructing it from scratch for the next first time. My trainer in these methods uses an analogy of a word document. The way she describes it is that each time you recall a memory, it's like opening a Word document, changing one word, then saving the document. And you only ever have access to the latest version. Every time you recall a memory, it changes. This is why eyewitness accounts don't stand up well in court. There are some interesting studies that delve more into this idea. There's one study from the 80s where the researcher interviewed people right after the Challenger space shuttle explosion, and then again several months later. The interviewees' accounts were totally different on the day of versus months later. In terms of memory reconsolidation from that Word document analogy, what happened for those interviewees was they witnessed the event, which gave them an original memory. Then, between the day of the crash and when they were interviewed for a second time, they'd had all these conversations about the Challenger with people they worked with and friends and family. They'd seen programs on the news. They'd read news stories. And each conversation or news story brought up their personal memory again, changed a few details, saved it, uh, and they only ever had access to that latest version. So over time, that memory had changed bit by bit, and the result was that they had a totally different memory of the event several months later. Taken to the extreme, this concept of, or this view of memory reconsolidation suggests that the best way to preserve a memory, to actually keep it intact, is to not recall it at all. So one really cool thing about this view of memory reconsolidation as a creative reconstructive process is that our brains actually can't tell the difference between a memory from the past and a visualization of future actions. The same part of the brain lights up in an fMRI machine in both cases. And what this means from a practical standpoint is that you can use future visualizations to your advantage in gaining embodied experience. In fact, sports psychologists use visualization for this exact purpose, not just to have athletes think about their performance, but to actually improve it just by doing visualizations inside their head, like not even picking up a basketball or running on a field or anything. They're just visualizing and they're improving their performance from that. So there have been studies on basketball players improving their free throw averages just from visualization without even picking up the ball. Free throw studies are well documented, likely because free throws are easy to operationalize and measure. You can isolate the activity from other possible variables. And these factors help make a convincing argument about the validity and reliability of the study findings. The sports psychologist isn't just having the player think about free throws in general, they are associating the athlete into the moment of the last free throw, and they're working inside the specific memory to lock in what worked well and to change the athlete's response to things that didn't go well. So being inside the memory or the visualization of the future is really key here. So my practice partner had me associate into the desired emotional state so we could activate a different and real memory, as opposed to a visualization of the future. In this case, we chose to use a memory because that memory gave me a lot of feelings and rich details to work with, and that made it easier to associate into. Once we're in the memory and feeling confident, warm, helpful when working with my client, we hang out there for a moment, and I feel all of that as fully as I can. 
Then the coach has me think of the trigger. I had three triggers. So she said, feel confident, warm, helpful, and now think about looking at the clock. I'm in the middle of feeling all these ways I want to feel. And as I think of the trigger, those feelings start to bleed over onto the trigger. In other words, I start to feel the possibility that nervousness doesn't have to be what I feel when I look at the clock right before class. I start to feel the possibility that warmth and confidence could happen in that moment. Now, I don't fully feel it yet, but that's why we're going to loop this a few times. So then we keep going. We associate back into the feeling of confidence, hang out there a sec, then think of walking to the lecture hall. And then we associate back into the resource state. Now think of stepping on stage. We go back and forth several times to copy the good feelings and paste them onto the trigger. We wrapped up with a few other visualization and hypnosis techniques to lock in the change. The other conceptual piece of this is explaining the process by which two neurons come to be wired together in the first place. Broadly speaking, Hebb's law is the idea that neurons that fire together get wired together, or vice versa, that neurons that are wired together fire together. Holding that idea together is this process called long-term potentiation, which explains how neurons from unconnected networks come to shake hands for the first time. You might think of long-term potentiation as this uh, yellow jeep syndrome, where somebody mentions a yellow jeep. Maybe you've never thought about yellow jeeps up until that point, never really paid attention. But since somebody mentioned it, now you notice yellow jeeps everywhere. In my example, I started with two neural networks that hung out all the time. They were inseparable, nervousness and public speaking. I also started with two neural networks that didn't know each other, public speaking and confidence. The process of associating into the resource state, feeling confident, warm, and helpful, and then, while I'm fully immersed in a memory of feeling that, we introduce the trigger, looking at the clock. When we do that, these neural networks find themselves at the same party together. They see each other across the room, so to speak. This is that moment when I'm in the resource state and I imagine looking at the clock for the first time, and what I feel is the possibility that feeling confident and warm could be associated with public speaking. Now, I'm not there yet, but I see the possibility. So what we're going to do next is loop this a few times. We're going to hit the resource state, and then we're going to paste that resource state onto the trigger. And we're going to run through this a few different times because we don't just want those two neural networks, confidence and public speaking, hanging out at the same party. We want them to shake hands. We want them dancing together. We want them hanging out as BFFs. So they're completely inseparable. So this moment's crucial because as soon as these two neural networks become aware of each other, they activate their receptors to look for more of this. Public speaking is looking for more of the confidence. The confidence is looking for more opportunities to speak publicly. So we move back and forth until confidence isn't just a possibility associated with public speaking. It becomes the likely response and then the inevitable, dependable response. So then we associate back into the resource state and introduce another trigger, walking to class. 
The neural networks shake hands at the party. Then we go back into that resource state. I'm imagining that coaching call with my client, feeling warm, helpful, satisfied. Um, and we introduce the other trigger, stepping on stage. The neural networks start dancing together at this point. We keep going back and forth, looping from the resource state to the triggers until we've taken the public speaking neural network and swapped out the nervousness, that shaky, cold jolt, and then replaced it with, a, with confidence, that warm, helpful, satisfied feeling. Then we locked it all in with a quick hypnotic induction followed by a visualization exercise. All of this took about 15 minutes, maybe less, and uh, I wasn't going to be in the classroom for maybe four more days after we had this coaching session, and I was so curious how it was going to go. So um, I will say that before I went to class, so like four days later, I had class, and um, and before I went, I just encountered each trigger intentionally and just noticed, um, noticed how I felt, uh, and then associated myself into that resource state each time. And I recognized that each of these triggers was actually a choice point where I got to choose what I was going to feel. And since I'd associated into a resource state that I really felt strongly and identified with, it was a resource state that was really real to me, it was easy to actually call up that memory again, uh, activate that resource state, and then encounter the actual trigger those days with, um, with that resource state in mind. So I was able to go in and teach my class and feel really good, actually. So um, it definitely worked. Now it's been about a month and a half, maybe two months since I did that. And, um, and it, this is just how I am now. You know, I feel confident, warm, helpful when I go into the lecture hall. I have warm hands and feet, like for the first time in my life, really. And, uh, and I just feel really good. Like I feel super confident in front of that group of 300. I haven't had any other types of speaking engagements like conference presentations or or whatever, but I imagine that before I do the next one of those, I'll just work through the same process again using these same tools and I'll generalize the confident, warm, helpful feeling onto those other public speaking contexts. I feel 100% confident it'll work because it already has. All right, that was fun. Now to recap. First, when using this technique, you want to start by identifying what situation do you want to feel different and better in next time you encounter it. Maybe for the sake of example, giving a briefing makes you nervous and you want to feel confident. Second, identify the main triggers for the feeling that you don't want. Get specific here. When you're about to give that briefing, how do you know it's time to feel nervous? Let's say one of the triggers is when the person before you is speaking and you know that you're up next. Another one might be as you walk up to the front of the room. A third one could be you look out at the crowd and you see people's faces. The third step is to identify how you want to feel instead. Confident, authoritative, relaxed, in control. Think of the main thing. Maybe it's confidence. And then feel it in your body. As you feel confidence in your body, give it a few other descriptors. How do you know when you feel totally confident? What is that experience like in your mind? Is it slow thoughts? And in your body, is it relaxed muscles, warm hands and feet, that kind of thing? Find that feeling you want to feel instead and hang out in there for about 15 to 20 seconds so you are really inside that good feeling. 
Any emotion has about a 90 second window before it dissipates. So hang out long enough to get fully into it, but not so long that you miss the window. Got it? Fourth, as you're feeling the good feeling, think of one of the triggers. What do you notice? Then go back into the good feeling, get really into it, then think of another trigger. What do you notice now? Cycle through all of your triggers a few times. After each one, asking yourself, what do I notice now? What's different? After that, do a visualization to lock in the change. Here's one I like to do. Obviously, don't do this if you're driving or operating heavy machinery. Close your eyes, take a deep breath in, and then exhale twice as long. Imagine that you're sitting in a chair looking at a tiny TV screen across the room from you. And on that TV screen is a movie of you feeling how you want to feel as you move through those triggers and act out the situation in question. You're walking up to give the briefing, feeling totally comfortable, and it shows. You're relaxed, comfortable, thinking clearly, taking up space, owning that room. Now allow yourself to float out of the imaginary chair you're in and into the movie of you, confident, giving that briefing, owning that room, clear thoughts. Hang out there in that movie for a minute. Move around in it, interact with people from that place of confidence. Inhabit that feeling you want and live it out. Then float back into your imaginary chair. Feel your muscles, want to stretch, then open your eyes. Deep breath in, exhale twice as long. Finally, if I were coaching you directly on this, I would ask you, what are you noticing now? If you're self-coaching with this tool, I recommend writing down your answer to that question in either your phone, notes app, or in a notebook or something like that. When you go into that situation next time, giving that briefing or whatever it is, find the feeling you want as you encounter each of the triggers. Now that you've done this once and you know exactly how it feels in your body to feel just how you want to, it'll be easy to find it again and you're gonna be ready to absolutely go crush it. So have fun. All right, there you have it. How to rewire your brain to feel more confident or whatever it is you wanna feel more of. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful. If you liked what you heard, feel free to pass it along to other folks you think might like it. You can follow along on Instagram at leader.technique and get on my mailing list to get emails and podcast notes at www.leadertechnique, all one word, dot com. That's leadertechnique.com. All right. Have a great week.